something great about when God shows up in the middle of things, you just kind of feel him. But sometimes when God shows up, it, it gets a little scary. Some, sometimes when God shows up, you're, you're confused and you're afraid. And sometimes when God shows up, you've got a lot of doubt and confusion. I, I mean, just go through scripture. You, you'll see that this is definitely the case. I mean, you go back to the very beginning. Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve... Uh, they, they've got this, this first sin, and then God comes walking through the garden. And, and what is the response of Adam and Eve? They don't go running to God and say, Oh, I'm so glad you showed up. You wouldn't believe what happened. The snake started talking, and then it's like, Eat the fruit. And we're like, Sure, you're a talking snake. And so we ate the fruit, and now it's all kind of just, it's all gone to pieces, and we just didn't know what we were going to do. And now you're here. Thank goodness. No, the text tells us that they heard God and they ran. They were afraid. They scattered. They, they couldn't stand to be around him. You go to, 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 to Moses. God delivers his people from slavery. He's miraculously sent all those plagues. He's led them through the Red Sea. And then he says, I'm going to come to you at Mount Sinai. And it's there that I'm going to give you my law. And he comes. He descends on the mountain. And what happens? Everybody is terrified. And they sort of push Moses out in front of the whole crowd. And they say, you go talk to him. We don't want to talk. I don't want to talk to him. You talk to him. You go talk to him. And, and they don't want to talk to God. Isaiah, he has a vision of God in the temple. He sees God uh, exalted, sitting there on the throne. We sing songs about this moment. And what does Isaiah do? He falls to his face and says, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He is just leveled by the presence of God. You go to the New Testament, same thing's true. Jesus is transfigured, the Mount of Transfiguration. His clothes like, are like lightning, and the disciples see him in his heavenly glory. And what do they do? They all hit the deck in fear, and Peter starts to ramble incoherent nonsense. That's what happens. Sometimes when God shows up, it's, it's a fearful thing. It, it brings a lot of confusion. It brings a lot of doubts. Uh, we've been looking at all of these post-resurrection accounts, uh, at, at starting with Easter, and now here we are this morning in Luke chapter 24. If you've got a Bible, love for you to follow along. It's here that Jesus shows up one more time here in his resurrected body, and you get the sense that it's repeating itself. This, this fear, this doubt, this confusion happens when Jesus shows up. Uh, verse 36 it says, while they were talking about this, well, what are they talking about? Uh, they're talking about how Jesus showed up there on the road to Emmaus to these two disciples, and they just they happened to notice him, and now they've come back. It says, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Sometimes when Jesus shows up, there's doubt and confusion. Sometimes. I, I love this text because Jesus himself, and we've looked at this before, had verbatim told the disciples, he said, listen, I am going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I am going to die. I'm going to be buried. And three days later, three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And instead of seeing Jesus there in that moment and going, oh man, we knew it. We knew you were coming back. We'd heard. We were excited. What does the text tell us that they thought? They said, they thought they were seeing a ghost. They were seeing a ghost. They started to believe in ghosts before they started to believe in Jesus. They were like, oh my goodness, 
It must be a ghost because people don't come back from the dead. They're terrified at the thought that Jesus has come back. There's something that happens when we encounter God that sometimes brings with it doubt and confusion. Now, that's not to say Jesus brings doubt and confusion. The text tells us that he comes and stands among them. And what does he say? He doesn't say, boo. He says, peace be with you. Jesus is bringing peace, but just his presence is terrifying. I mean, we're made in the image of God, but when the real God shows up, it's overwhelming. And we look for other ways to explain it. I mean, the disciples, they said, well, it must be a ghost. They wouldn't say, well, that's God. They said, well, it must be a ghost. Don't we do similar things, though? As I was thinking about this this week, you know, how often is it that when God shows up and, and God does these, what we call them God things, do we automatically sort of look for different explanations for it? You know, we're in, uh, we've, I go to the Monday morning men's prayer group and we pray and we've, we've had a lot of people on the list there for a while. And, and sometimes these amazing things take place. Uh, one of them, not that long ago, this guy had been diagnosed with cancer. It was going to be terminal. Um, you know, hey, start preparing for the end. And he goes in for another test. A lot of people have been praying for him, and, and there's no cancer. And so what does everybody do? We all look at each other and go, wow, isn't that something? And we've sort of got to force ourselves. We've got to remind ourselves, hey, wait a second. We've been praying about this. This is God that's, that's showed up here. You know, but instead, we're like, man, maybe that first test was bad. You know, we're coming up with a hundred different reasons. Well, you know, maybe that all green natural food diet, maybe there's something to that. Maybe that's what we, we try to explain it a hundred different ways because it's easier to do that than for us to say, you know, hey, it's God. But friends, when it's God, it's God, no matter how you try to explain it. The disciples, they did it. We do it. We do it also when, when it comes to this issue of being convicted. God shows up in different ways too, doesn't he? He shows up in sometimes we get really convicted of our sin. I mean, I, I've prayed and talked with people who've just been leveled by conviction. God showed up somewhere in their life and they were just tore down for all the sin that was in their life and just, just leveled, brought down, completely broken. And there's something about that. When God shows up in a convicting way, even then, there are times we'll try to dismiss that. You know, we'll feel God tugging on our heart to do something, and we'll go, that's not God. That's just, you know, that's just my emotions getting the better of me. That, that's, that's not God. That's, you know, that's just, I know that's probably the right thing to do. I just don't want to do that. You know, I, that's not God. You know, I, I've got a mortgage. God doesn't ask people with mortgages to do those kinds of things. Those are for people without mortgages. You know, even things like go to like on a like a short term mission trip, people are terrified of it. Oh, that's I I don't want to do that. I'm I'm afraid to go. And I tell you, I, I, people say, well, I'm afraid of the political unrest or drinking the water, or eating the food. I mean, yeah, all that's it's delicious and and potentially dangerous. But but I think what we're really afraid of in all those instances is we're afraid that God would show up. I mean, heaven forbid we would go and see how people live, and then all of a sudden we've got to deal with that and God. I think we're afraid God's going to show up a lot of times. We're afraid to go and, and be led and to do things because when that happens, we have this encounter with God, and we're going to have to either explain it away or come face to face with the reality that there is something we have got to do. When God shows up, we, we, we have doubt, we have confusion, we try to justify it, we try to explain it. And yet, what happens here? Jesus says, he says, peace be with you. 
I love this next part. Verse 38. In the midst of all their doubt, in the midst of all their confusion, in the midst of all their questions, verse 38, he said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he would said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. What's significant about that? Luke, Luke is, is pretty smart. Ghosts don't eat. They don't eat real well, at least. And Jesus says, You think I'm a ghost? Let's have some fish. Is it that Jesus is really hungry? He's hankering for some fish? I don't think so. I think this is just one of those signs. Because Jesus will meet us there in that place of doubt. Jesus says, I'm going to bring you peace. And Jesus comes and he welcomes our questions and he welcomes our doubt. And yet we don't think that way often, do we? We sort of turn doubt into a bad word, haven't we? You know, we say, you know, well, I don't want to doubt. I just want to believe. Don't you have to have a little bit of doubt for there to be some belief there? I mean, we say, well, they're questioning their faith. Shouldn't you have questions in your faith? Shouldn't you? I mean, how how is it faith if there's no questions? There's a mystery to faith. Uh, How about this? How many of you believe I've got a $10 bill in my hand? How many of you believe that? Go put your hand up if you believe it. I I got one believer. I got two believers. Three believers. That's all I had in the first service. I had one in the first service. They're like, it comes in tens. It does. It does. $10 bill right here. Here you go. Right there in my hand. I have destroyed your faith. I've destroyed your faith. I'm sorry. You know, that's the thing because now it requires no faith to believe that I've got a $10 bill in my hand. You're like, well, we know that now. Well, that's true. There's no faith. But before, when you didn't know, that's when there's faith involved. And that's how it is in Christianity. Well, we can explain a lot of things, and we can give reasons for a lot of things, but at some point in time, you're going to come to a place where you say, all the evidence leads me to this place, and you're going to have to take a step in faith. And Jesus is really understanding of that. Jesus, he, he does all that he can for the disciples. He says, come here, to touch my hands, touch my feet, look at me, watch me. Do you see? Do you see? And God's always been this way. You go through the Psalms, and, and what is the psalmist? He's always saying things like, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, are you listening? God, are you paying attention? When are you going to show up? When are you going to deliver me? Do you see how the wicked are living? Do you see how the righteous suffer? All of these things, all of these doubts, all of these questions, and, and what happens? God welcomes those doubts. Job, same kind of situation. Job, he is, he's got a whole lot of bad stuff going on in his life. And what does he do? He starts to talk about how God is this way and how God's not giving him a fair shake. And he's, he's talking about God like God's listening and like God's going to do something. And his friends are just giving him all these really easy answers like, well, it must be unconfessed sin in your life or it must be this or it must be that. And Job's like, no, there's something else going on. And at the end of the whole book, we don't get a lot of answers, but we do know this is that Job leaves justified in God's eyes. God says, only my servant Job spoke correctly of me. You see, God welcomes the doubt. He welcomes the questions. He welcomes that pushback. That's okay with Him. Sometimes in our faith, it requires a little bit of divine intervention. You come down to verse 44, He says, Then He said to him, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. He said, I've told you this before. 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. You see, God sometimes, sometimes we need God's help to believe. Sometimes we need God's help to overcome our doubt. Uh, Jesus, the text tells us here, that he opens their minds to understand. That's how God works. If you you go to the book of James, chapter 1, starts right out. James says this. He says, listen, if you're lacking in wisdom, you just ask God. God will give that to you. There's not a limited supply in that if God gives it to you, he's less wise. No, he's glad to give it to whoever asks. Uh, Philippians 3.15, there's some misunderstanding within the church. There's some confusion in the church. And, And what does Paul say? He says, listen, anything else that's unclear to you, You just pray about that, and God will reveal that to you also. Sometimes we need God's help, and yet we're so afraid to ask for it. Back in May of 2009, um, in China, there was this man who was just drowning in an ocean of debt. He was all sorts of problems going on in his life. He felt the only way that he could get over that, get through that, was uh, to take his life. And so he climbs up on the top of a bridge, um, and he's going to jump. He's going to kill himself. Um, thankfully, somebody noticed. They called the police, and so the police come, and uh, the fire department comes, and, and uh, it's one of those traffic bridges. So there's traffic going this way on the bridge, and there's traffic going the other way uh, under the bridge. And, and so they section the whole thing off. They, they shut down traffic in every direction for five hours. Uh, they inflate those, you know, like, you know, big airbag things on the ground so that we should he happen to fall, land on it, he would hopefully not die. He'd survive. And and so they're there talking to him for five hours, trying to get this guy to come down. And, and nobody knows how, but somehow this 66-year-old guy, you've got to watch out for those guys, they, he sneaks through the police barricade. He makes it to the top of the bridge where this guy is. And, and you, can, this, you can see this online thanks to the Internet. Um, and he goes to shake this man's hand. And you don't know what's going on, but he goes, as he goes to shake his hand, he shakes his hand, and then with his other hand, he shoves him off the bridge. He pushes him right off. The guy thankfully lands on one of those air cushions and, and his life is saved. His ankle's broken, but his life's saved. And, and later they interviewed the 66-year-old man and they essentially asked this question, what were you thinking before they, they <laughs> prosecuted him um, for, for trying to push somebody off of a bridge, which is illegal in most countries? Um, and the guy said, he said, you know, listen, you know, he'd shut down traffic in every direction for five hours. And, you know, it, it, essentially it was, just, it was just time. You know, we were going to have to do something about this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm really bothered by this because I'm bothered by this for a couple of reasons. One is I'm bothered by the fact that we, we devalue like human life so much that we say, you know, free flowing traffic at rush hour is more important than you. Um, I mean, we wouldn't tolerate a human sacrifice every day at five just to make the traffic go. I'm bothered by that. I'm, I'm also bothered by the fact that all of us, myself included, are kind of like, ha, 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 we kind of like, there's like something uneasy that makes us kind of laugh about it. And that's the part of the problem is I think we sort of, we have this sense like that that's how life really works. Like if you can't get it together, then you're just going to kind of, somebody's going to push you because that's just kind of how it should be. And we feel that way with God too. You know, we think like, you know, if we come to God with our doubt, that what he might really do is be like, hey, I've given you the Bible, I gave you the church, you know, whatever, and just push us off the edge into the eternal fire of damnation and hell forever and ever and ever. I I think we're sort of afraid of God that way. 
And so we're afraid to go to God. We're afraid to ask because we're afraid that, that if we express our doubt, we're afraid if we express our doubt in church that maybe our, our brother or sister sitting next to us in a Sunday school class would just push us off the ledge. But that's not how God works, and it's not how we should work. You see, God is very compassionate for the people that struggle. Uh, struggle with, with, with mental issues, with depression, struggle with doubt, struggle with fear, struggle with confusion, all those things. We don't see this anywhere more clearly than in Mark chapter 9 in the life of Jesus himself. You've got a father here who's, this is probably my favorite story of Jesus in all scripture. You've got this father here who's had a son who for years has been demon-possessed. And the text tells us that this demon's tried to kill his son several times. He's thrown him into the water to drown him. He's thrown him into the fire to try to burn him. He, he's convulsed him. He's had all sorts of things happen to him. And, and, and it, it's just, it's literally been hell on earth for this father. And so this father, what has he done? Like any good father, he's taken his son to doctors. And the doctors can't do anything. And he's taken his, his son to those healing crusades and healers. And he's taken him all over the place. And, and now he's brought him to Jesus because now he's probably the latest and greatest healing show. And so he brings him there. And what happens? The disciples in the book of Mark says that they can't heal the son. And so what happens next is Jesus shows up. And the father's frustrated. And he says, if you can do something... Could you heal my son? If you can. If you're able, heal my son. And Jesus doesn't say, whatever. If I can. I'm God. What's so moving about that is Jesus says this. He says, listen, anything's possible for him who believes. And the Father says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus doesn't say, well, that's a start. Come back later. When you get it together. Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, you know, that's good enough for maybe like a 50% healing. We'll start here and see what we can do. The text tells us that Jesus just heals the boy. And, and the inference of that, obviously, is that not only did he heal the boy, but he healed the father's lack of faith all at the same time. Because that's what God does. God meets us at that place of desperation. God meets us at that place of despair and doubt and confusion and all the questions that we have. And he brings us together. And he says, you know what? It, just a little bit of faith. That's all it takes. I know you've got more doubt than, than faith. I know you've got more questions than answers. I know you've got more disbelief than belief. But let's see. I think we can work a miracle here. And that's what it takes, friends. Sometimes it takes God to overcome our doubt. And here's the good news. For all of you that are here this morning, maybe you're under duress, you've got drug here, maybe you're here because you've got questions and you think maybe there's some answers here in the church. Here's the thing. If you are full of doubt and questions, you are like a candidate to be a super believer because that's what happens with all of the disciples here. Jesus will continue on and he's going to say to them here, we'll pick up the text Verse 46, it says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses. What's a witness? Somebody who's seen and heard something and then tells about it. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father has promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Right here, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, listen, you are going to be my witnesses. And it's doubters, I think, that make the best witnesses. 
It's doubters that make the best believers, the people that really wrestle with their faith, that ask the hard questions, that don't settle for easy answers. Those are the people, I think, that, that, that come out the strongest believers and the best witnesses. Each of these disciples, they decided they were going to believe in ghosts before they believed in Jesus. And yet something happens in this moment. And church tradition will show us that uh, these, these disciples all went to their graves uh, suffering and dying for their faith that Jesus came back from the dead. That's what they believed. And that's how they died. And we've got this recorded for us historically. I think one of the most moving pictures I've seen portrayed of this, and I know it's an artist's presentation, is of, of the Apostle Peter. Peter, uh, he was, according to tradition, crucified. He was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. And in this artist's rendition, if, if you see a picture of, of this, uh, it's fairly popular. You'll see a picture of Peter holding the nail into his own wrist so it's easier for the executioner to drive it in. What is it that, that changed there? My friends, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. These doubters made the absolute best witnesses of the power and transformation that can come only through Jesus Christ. A guy by the name of J. Warner Wallace was a cold case detective. He called himself an evidentialist because he believed the truth was always tied to the evidence. At the age of 35, he started to look at the evidence for Christianity. And here's what he says. I want to read this to you. He says, as an atheist, I was very comfortable as the captain of my own ship. I had been a police officer for nearly 10 years and was being, uh, used to being in charge in difficult situations. I didn't like intrusions, and there was no room for God in my life. I'm not a theist today because I was raised by believers. I wasn't. I'm not a believer because I was hoping uh, for heaven or afraid of hell. I had no sense of value for either. I'm not a theist because I was trying to fill a void or satisfy a need. I felt none. I believe God exists because the evidence leaves me no reasonable alternative. And, and today, J. Warner Wallace, he runs a website called um, Cold Case Christianity. He's got a book called God's Crime Scene, where he's looked at the evidence surrounding Christ and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And, and he is now this powerful witness for Jesus Christ. And, and friends, that's what happens that's what can happen when we take our doubts and we take our questions, we bring them to God and we say, God, I, I do believe a little bit. Could you help me overcome my unbelief? God meets us there in this place of doubt and confusion, and, and he brings a work of transformation and change. This morning, our, our worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing a song of decision. And, and as we sing the song, perhaps some of you are saying, you know what, it's, it's time you know, maybe you've looked at the evidence long and hard. Maybe you've considered this for quite some time. You've, you've wrestled with it. You've worked through it. And all of the evidence has sort of led you to this place where, like, there's not another step that's quite laid out for you. We call that faith. Faith is that next step. It's where you say, all right, I think everything has brought me here to this point where I've got to believe. And that can be kind of a scary step, but it's one that God meets us in. And so if that's you and you say, man, I, I want to put my faith in Christ. I want to accept him, receive him as my Lord and my Savior. We're going to invite you to come forward and do that this morning as we sing this song. Would you please be standing?